some of the changes are so big that almost anything is on the table, right? You're like almost like major characters could be completely omitted. Like we still haven't seen several major characters. Elias has not shown up in the show so far. Like there are certain characters that are gone and it's like, are they going to get introduced later? All the characters who we met in Camelin, like almost all of them are not in the show so far. So will we get them? I hope so. Welcome, friends, to episode 212 of the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm James. And I'm Luke. And this week, we discuss episodes 5 through 8 of Rafe Judkin's 2021 series, The Wheel of Time. Okay, and now back to your regularly scheduled Wheel of Time coverage. <laughs> yeah. uh, we took a week off, in a sense, not really, but we took a week to cover Green Knight because we really wanted to do a Christmas project and it just lined up that we were sort of in the middle of our wheel of time coverage but here we are to finish episodes five through eight of this series yeah thanks for sticking with us uh glad to be back to wheel of time to finish it out right this year i didn't we we ended up deciding we didn't want to put it off till next year we wanted to, to get this thing wrapped up so our last looks episode we traditionally would be releasing right now uh, we'll be pushed back a week, basically, but you can still look for that. Hopefully, you still will enjoy us looking back at 2021, even if it is early 2022 at that yeah, point. Yeah, I think there's a certain amount of, like, still retrospective stuff the first couple days of the year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I like to think so. Uh, but here we are back in the world of Wheel of Time, especially in the show. And I wanted to ask you, James. So let me set the stage. We are in a time in this world where male Aesidae are allowed to join the White Tower. And me and you, a couple of novices, show up. Turns out we are quite strong in the one power. Congratulations. Um, of course, yeah, and, as, as it should be. <laughs> as it should be. And uh, we, are, we are studying. And when you are studying, what happens is y- you start getting um, the Ajas start sort of approaching you especially if you're powerful and they start saying like, Hey, you should come join us. And you start to learn about the Ajahs. And I know that that's something we're just starting to touch on. I sent you an article earlier, breaking down all of the different ones. And I, I have come up with a couple that I think I would be most drawn to. And then I have one that I think I would actually end up joining. Um, and I'm curious to know where you're leaning to. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, other other franchises have this kind of stuff. Harry Potter has their thing. So I thought it'd be fun to do that a little bit here with Wheel of Time. Okay, so I withhold my my right to to turn this back later because honestly, like we've only really, in the, especially in the book, only really encountered Blue. And then in the show, they've only given us glimpses of a few others that are, you know, seemingly important. But I don't really, un- I think the easiest way for you to understand each of the colors is to get to know a character who's in the color and sort right. of see the personality and the temperament and everything. It definitely takes a while before that happens in the series, before you actually meet like a memorable character from Isha Jha. So personally for me right now, there's there's a few that, especially reading this article, that I would be drawn to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one that I would definitely most enjoy. And two of the three are the are some of the more important ones right now. And okay. the two that, that I'm drawn to uh, from the show and from the book so far are the blue and the green and I'll pick one of those those two. are the those are the two that I would have would have said would be your two top contenders I was actually talking yeah. with uh, my wife Annalisa about this earlier and we were both talking about ours and uh, then I was like what do you think about James and we both we both said blue and green someone between those two would probably be uh probably be it for you 
Right. And, uh, you know, looking through this, we haven't met a brown Aja yet, but of course, like that, that interests me as well, because it's like gathering and preserving knowledge is something that I find to be like, obviously important. But my temperament and like me as a person, like, I can't tell really yet. I, I, I'm going to go ahead and say green because yeah. like I'm not I think bl- blue is a little more secretive than I think I'm more on where my my emotions on my sleeve a little more than maybe blues do. Yeah, they're more so like uh, collecting knowledge and moving in the sh- not in the shadows, but like they're strategic and like the greens are the ones who are more likely to be in the battles, like on the front lines fighting the the, the forces of the dark. So they tend to work together a lot with the blues. Um, but yeah, that that is kind of a distinction. But it, it's kind of tricky to differentiate between them. But that's my understanding. Blues are more interested in justice in the sense of like uh, what's right and wrong rather than like the law. Uh, whereas I think gray was much more. They're like lawyers almost and and diplomats. Maybe quickly we should we should go over a few of them in case people don't know. So uh, we also have white which is like philosophy and ration, like rationale. Logic, They're also yeah. logic, yeah, yeah. They're also a little bit neutral, uh, kind of like the grays. The grays and the white seem kind of similar to me, although grays are much more about law, whereas whites are much more about like big philosophy questions and ethics and stuff like that. Um, and they're, they're very much in their heads and kind of removed from the day-to-day world. Uh, then you have yellows, which are the sort of healing ajah, I always thought of them as like magical doctors, um, you know, in everything that that could possibly entail. Um, and then you got the Browns who are like librarians. Uh, they are historians. They are interested in knowledge. Uh, they tend to read a lot uh, and kind of get lost in their books. They tend to not be out on the front lines as much because of that. They're, they're much more like academics. Um, and then you have the red, which is all about controlling the, the use of the one power, especially misuse of the one power, and especially in when that relates to men who might be out there uh, misusing it. Um, then you have the greens who are on the front lines of the battle, like I said, the blues we already talked about. And I think that's all of them. Where have I missed somebody? Yeah, I think you got them all. The, <laughs> okay. uh, it was gonna, I was going to start this by joking and saying I would be red. Just because, yeah. like, I don't, I don't know. I'm sure there are people <laughs> who identify as red. Eventually, they probably have, like, some very sympathetic red red Aja that eventually are introduced. But, um, mm-hmm. I, you know, looking at this again, I'm looking at the blue and the, the like, righteous and ju- righteousness and justice mixed with... I would be somewhere in between blue and green for sure. Yeah, I feel like you'd be called to both and you'd be... You'd, it'd be a decision, right? You'd have to decide... Which is interesting to think about for the for going forward in the story. I'm, I'm going to be interested to see characters that we know and love have to like maybe decide yeah. where they fall, even though they might not be perfectly in mm. one or the other. Uh, yeah, I I'm not going to reveal anything, but uh, you could be excited uh, by what's going to come then. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, for me, it it ended up coming down to two as well. Uh, mine was the blue and the brown, um, and I I I ended up leaning towards brown i think actually as much as i want to think i'd be out there fighting the fight um i'm much more likely to have my nose in a book i think in the tower <laughs> uh and and uh the, just the descriptions of the brown and uh really kind of sounded like yeah that's probably more me i would be potentially called the blue and i feel like i could be convinced um if it felt like i was really needed at the time um but yeah somewhere between those two but i'm gonna lean brown i think you you're gonna lean green so i think that's cool that's gonna be our podcast a brown and a green Right. Yeah. Interesting. 
Uh, it's kind of like what were we, Ravenclaw and uh, Gryffindor. Gryffindor. Yeah. So yeah. there you go. All right. Uh, <laughs> just I don't know. I thought that was fun. Let us know what Ajaz uh, you guys would be. Uh, you would join. Um, you know, it, it, or, or and if you think that that's the right pick for us, or if you imagine we would actually be better suited in a different one, let us know. Uh, always here. <laughs> Happy to hear that stuff. So last we left this, uh, we've we were coming off the high of episode four. We were both talking a lot about how like how we felt about the show and how we yeah. what we were excited for going forward. Do you want to maybe say like where you were at going into this and how you felt? Mm, I don't necessarily remember what I said, um, but I, I can I can tell you that when I you know I was excited because I, uh, the show had been getting better, it had been improving to me with every episode. So going into episode five, very excited. Um, and, and, and still just like having a great time with this show and, uh, you know, happy to say that I continue to have a great time with it. This is the show is ends up being something that I'm, you know, very excited about going forward. Um, happy with overall, I, you know, I has, I have criticisms. There are, you know, things that I dislike, there are things that I like, um, and we will talk about them, but, um, yeah, going into episode five, super excited, excited to see Tarvalon, um, which is something we're about to get into. And, uh, yeah, I, I pumped. What about you? Right. Yeah. Uh, I think I remember saying at the end of episode four, I felt like I felt safe in the hands of the filmmakers. I feel like I was ready to, you know, trust and and think that they could pull off the things they needed to pull off, regardless of the changes and everything like that. And um, I'm happy to say, for the most part, I agree with you. Like I it's definitely not a perfect show, but it had a lot of what I was looking for out of the show, especially right now. And I am excited to see more. So like getting into this episode five here, I was one interested in what they would cut and what I would be getting, you know, kind of spoiled for me from the book because I yeah. haven't read the book yet. So we get a lot of stuff that there's I had There's a good bit in here, right? Experience. Yeah. 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 Um, I was thinking about you a lot during during this going like, oh, that's going to be new. That's new information. That's new information. Or, and, and there are things where it's like, oh, that's just a big change. And and he won't know that that's not in the book. <laughs> some of that is there. Too. Well, that's something I was almost actively trying to pick up on is like, <laughs> I have to assume some of the times things are book accurate. And then yeah. I'm wondering when it's not yeah. and if it, like how people who read the book would have responded to that. But just on my own experience, there were some things along the way that I don't know if they're changers or not, but it'll be interesting to see if I... I mean, regardless if there are changes in terms of the overall story, it's a change from the first book. So yeah, for me, those were changes. There, there's always a quandary that I'm faced with in these situations where I have to decide: do I talk about? I guess, I guess on our show, that's what we do, right? So I'm going to talk about the ways in which things are different in the books. Um, if you are really worried about the books being spoiled for you i guess that could just be aware that i am going to talk about that a little bit i won't go into like super detail but if something massive has been changed i'll mention hey in the book it's different well i mean because the show's already kind of spoiled that for you from the book regardless so you're going to think going into these books that that does happen at some point anyway and yeah i mean so take that for what it will we just read the book so like that's our show we're gonna we're gonna compare the two so uh, I'll be doing that throughout. I was noticing just the rapid pace at which they were like stripping through the story at sometimes, and yeah. I I found myself kind of not understanding fully like what the rush was, like why couldn't we slow down a little bit? And I know it's be pr- partially probably because they want to get to the juicy stuff that people are really really invested in. Maybe they didn't believe in everything that happened in book one enough to like hold it together as a show that people would want to continue seeing. But I just felt like some of some of it, I was like, let's slow down. Like, there's so much book here. Like, really, yeah. t- like, 
take your time and live in this world. And it feels like some of the time they're trying to trying to get through the book to get to certain parts. I agree. And uh, there is a lot of story here. I do think they can afford to slow down a little bit. I, I would love to see in a season two more like 10 episodes or even 12 um, I, I think would be better served to this material. Um, I don't know if they'll get that. We'll see. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it, it it felt like they were in a rush for some reason. Um, and whenever they could take a moment to slow down, it was always a, a much needed and, and welcomed reprieve, actually, because it was like finally get to have these character moments that make us fall in love with these people. Yeah, and I guess specifically what I'm talking about is the they have so much material from the first book and they're choosing to add a lot that wasn't in the first book into this season. And it's like, all right, if you're already strapped for time, why are you adding additional story to this uh, degree? So Rafe Judkins has talked about in one of the interviews I read that he really felt like he needed to do a lot for Perrin and Matt and Egwene um, and Nynaeve. Honestly, all of them were more underserved in the first book um, because it was much more Rand centric. And they all develop more over time in subsequent books. And he felt like there's no time for that. He needs to like get that happening early in the show and, and have this ensemble cast all be hitting. Um, and so I think that was the goal. I don't know that the result was uh, necessarily great across the board. Um, we'll, we'll talk about it throughout. But um, I think that was the idea. And uh, and for that's why they felt rushed is I think he he wanted to really advance a lot of these plot lines um, and and you know I, I yeah I do I do hope that because this thing is apparently a hit which I'm very ha- happy to see um, has doing been doing well um, I I really hope that they can slow down a little bit in in uh, season two yeah I mean the viewership is there the proof of concept has has set in they've, exactly. they've shown that they can carry the show they can do the things they need to do now up the budget and slow down the pacing and I'm like I think that we're in for like a great a great show all the totally way agree um, alright so I'm gonna jump into plot here the episode 5 is called Blood Calls Blood the Aes Sedai bury Kareen and Loghain's army Lan, Moraine, Nynaeve and the Aes Sedai travel to the White Tower of Tarvalon for a month Moraine warns Nynaeve of the Aes Sedai's political machinations. The, the White Cloaks waylay Perrin, Egwene, and the Tinkers. With Arim's help, Perrin and Egwene initially escape but are captured by Amon Valda. Valda suspects Egwene can channel and tortures Perrin to force Egwene to channel. Egwene and Perrin escape when wolves attack the camp, seemingly connected to Perrin. Rand and Matt arrive at Tarvalon, where Rand is disturbed by Matt's odd behavior. Rand meets Loyal and Ogier, who notes that Rand resembles a foreign Aeel. Loyal helps Nynaeve reunite with Matt and Rand. Loghain is paraded around Tarvalon, laughing madly when he notices Rand and Matt watching. Lan and the other warders console Stepan, Kareen's warder. Moraine and Alana discuss Stepan's mental state. Alana warns Moraine of both Leandrin's motives and the impending return of the Amarlin seat. The following morning, Lan finds Stepan dead by suicide. Lan serves as the primary mourner at Stepan's funeral, overcome with grief. So, I, I, I honestly, I want to hear your reactions to some of this stuff. Some of it's in the book, some of it's not. Um, so, yeah, I'm really curious to know what, you, what your thoughts are. Well, the first thing was they're combining Camelin and Tarvalon. Yeah, and honestly, I, I think it's a smart idea. I think it's a good idea. I, I, I am. There are certain characters that get introduced in Camelin that are absent in this season. I have to assume they're going to introduce them next season. Um, I think that's okay. I think getting Tarvalon introduced as a major player 
in the world politics in season one is a smart move. And um, a, a lot of the stuff that happens in Camelon, they move to Tarvalon instead. And, and honestly, this is one of those changes that I actually get behind as much as it is different. And book purists may be mad. Um, I, I think it it kind of solves a problem that we had with book one. And that's they talked about going to Tarvalon an awful lot and never went there. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so as a book reader who hasn't read on. I'm a little bit weary when these things happen because I don't know the like ultimate outcome of some of these places. Like, is Camelin going to be a, an, a city that's just as important as some of these other major, major cities that we've learned? Or is it just for, for adding some more culture, some more different locations and things like that? Um, so I didn't know. I'm happy to hear that you think it's a good change. I think it's a good change. I, I think we'll get Camelin soon. I think next season, I wouldn't be surprised if that's a location we're going to see. Um, I feel like it was more important to introduce Tarvalon in season one. Because what I worry about is like these little changes because they have the advantage of having the entire story laid out in front of them and they, they can decide to change things here and there. But if you, I think that it's, you have to do it expertly. Like I think you have to realize that like these small changes create a ripple now that nearing the end of the series could be like this tidal wave of changes and, yeah. and like a mess. Oh, so and, it's and like, that's going to happen. And there are a lot of other changes that I think uh, you're totally right. You're going to get that butterfly effect of, oh, that was a small change we made here, but it's going to end up being massive. I um, mean, we, we've seen a lot of that uh, already, I think. I, I don't know. I think this one is okay. I think this one, they can just rearrange. They can introduce uh, Camelin next season. And, uh, you know, they've already moved a lot of stuff with Loghain. I, I think it's doable. There are going to be changes. And, and, and in fact, the longer the show goes on, the more different it might start to feel from the books. Um, but some of that, I think, is, is going to happen when you're trying to adapt, you know, 14 doorstopper novels into uh, probably, what, six to eight seasons of television would be my guess, if, it, if we're lucky. Right. Yeah, I mean, but overall, getting to see Tarvalon, even though I hadn't done it in the book yet, getting to see Tarvalon was awesome. What did and you think of it? Yeah, what did you think of the, of the White Tower? It's very impressive getting to see the Aes Sedai political vying and everything, because that's like something that I've been really wanting to see, because I think I'm pretty sure the only Aes Sedai for the most part that we see in the book is just Moraine. No, we see the Red who is with, who's in Camelin. Remember, she's like, uh, and she makes that prophecy about Rand. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so those two, but like realistically, not a lot getting to see them like in their environment and starting to learn a little bit about how like they come up in this area, like they come to the tower, they're novices and then they like, like, you know, hone their powers and getting to learn about the Aja and the way that those work and getting to see Moraine's like hierarchy within these people and Mm -hmm. how, you know, I kind of would have assumed that she was the highest of the blue order, but it's not clear that that's the case. (laughs) Yeah. She's got an interesting reputation as someone who is sort of left and been out and about for a long time and so some people are like resentful of her for that like she's been standing keeping herself apart from tower politics definitely she didn't seem like she was very close to the other blues yeah. from the, the interactions that we had like she you know close enough to where they were like on the same team as her but right. they were also like telling her what to do like you're not yeah. supposed to leave the tower from here on I, let's I just love have you home the, for a while the design and uh concept of the white tower and the 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 way every every woman there has her own desires i think that's even a line in the show where it's like everybody here has their own aims their own desires they're all, you know, potentially dangerous in their own way, and they have their own agendas. So 
I think that's perfect. That's the stuff that I found that might be the most interesting. And I do want to talk about the the great look of the tower, like some of those aerial shots that we're getting early on with like the women all dressed in their different colors. It's very striking on the white and like just like it looks so cool and it looks very regal. It looks very magical. And and it doesn't like in, in some ways, I think some of the areas look like reused sets and things like that. This one, very importantly, is awesome. And they, you know, they spent their money here. So let's talk about the warders, because that's like a big plot line in this episode in particular, is Stepan, who has lost his Aes Sedai in the last episode, and he's in grieving, he's in mourning about it, and he's wearing white now, and we see he looks like he's kind of in a daze, and we see multiple scenes of, of, of uh, Lan and him talking, and um, we we learn a lot more about the bond between warders and their Aes Sedai, and there's even an important line where he says, warders aren't supposed to outlive their Aes Sedai. Um, and we get the sense that this is really hard on him. Uh, and then, of course, it leads to him actually committing suicide. Seems like he drugged Lan or maybe just got him really drunk. One or the other probably drugged him <laughs> and uh, just enough to where he could, like, get out there and, and kill himself in front of the statue. Um, and there was like a moment where they were talking about him maybe joining with uh, this other green who we've met and joining up with these other guys we've met. Um so you 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 do hear that like that can happen, right? Like that the the bond they can be bonded to a new Aes Sedai, and um, sometimes that's a way that warders are able to move on. But I think this is a a good way of showing something directly that we only hear about as like a, a story or like someone just telling you how it is in the book for a while, and then eventually you get some you actually see it play out. But for the longest time, it's just like it's information we get. So it's cool to like make it all happen here on this on the screen, so we can internalize how this bond is and the effect it has on the warders if their Aes Sedai is it, it does die. It's it's like almost the end for them. There is so much in this that I found to be really important to setting out like Aes Sedai, the warders, and like their connection, like you're talking about, and like a couple of the things are like. For example, he takes her ring and has to drop it into that like vat where it joins that the rest of the metal, which probably will one day become other Aes Sedai rings and things like that. Um, and, and the importance of the rings, like I think eventually Gwen brings back like a, a, a bunch of them. Yeah. And that's a big deal, obviously, from the White Cloaks. Cause she grabs them at the end here when they're breaking free. She like grabs right. all the ones that this Valda character has. So yeah. and then eventually we see a character who has the ring but no stone or something yeah. like that. So Empty she wasn't ring. powerful enough. So just the the idea of the rings and the way that he ceremoniously like puts it back in, it rejoins in in a ring, of course, in sort of a wheel mm-hmm. as everything's like cyclical in this. And then uh, yeah, then his actual eventual death, which was very sad. I was really looking forward to him to hope like rebonding and having another like second life as a warder. And it would have been cool to see him with the other two. Uh, who are they were clearly awesome characters and then uh, yeah, he kills himself and and I wanted to talk specifically about the warders like and the Aes Sedai all mourning together and the way that like they they like give I thought at first that it was going to be sort of like a ceremonial like give you the grief and you sort of like mourn for us but it seemed like literally they were able to like give their grief to to Lan who then like had to deal with everyone's grief all at once in, in this moment to like sort of flush it from all their systems. Yeah. I'm not I'm not sure. I don't know that there's a direct book correlation to this scene. There may be. Uh, it, you know, this is one of the problems of having read these books so long ago. Um but to me I think this this may have been something that they sort of invented for the show and I really liked it. And um in particular, whether or not it's Lan's 
grief that he's like allowing himself to actually express and it's sort of built up or if he is sort of actually expressing all of their grief there is a line about that i think something about that but i took it to be more like he he I didn't think there was something magical going on. I didn't think they're actually like pushing their emotion into him. I think it was more like you are going to be the one who ceremoniously ceremoniously gets to sort of embody our grief. And one of the things I absolutely loved about that scene was the look on Moraine's face um, while it's she's also experiencing it. Not only is she also experiencing it, but I think she is surprised by it. Um, and I think that that was what I loved about her performance is not only am I overwhelmed looking at you, who, uh, uh, you looking at you, Lan, as you are experiencing this grief, but and that emotion is so strong that it's hitting me, too, because of their bond. But also there was a look of kind of like shock, like I, I didn't know that you had this depth of feeling in this moment. Um, at least that's how I interpreted it. And I thought that was like a, a nice complexity to the performance um and by the way rosamund pike uh over these next few episodes honestly in the in the white tower has completely won me over as moraine uh i i have any any hesitancy i had in like the early episodes is gone uh i think she's killing it now and has fully and she is bringing something to this role that i'm really excited about there's a real complexity here there's a real depth of emotion um and uh, yeah i just especially at the tower itself i think she's doing some of her best work and i really really liked it um and on the flip of that another character that i also was a little bit hesitant about was lan who i also think kills it in these episodes we're about to cover and any any misgivings i had about lan um not only has the performance made me feel better about them but the show has has demonstrated to me that they understand the character enough and what the character means to the story and made him important enough. I was worried he was going to get relegated as a, more of a side character. Instead, he feels like one of the primary characters we're following. And uh, I love that. And I think that that's appropriate for him. Yeah, those two, I think, are really carrying the show. Like, I think there are some other good performances. And I think some other performances that are not amazing. But those two are like, they're really carrying the show, in my opinion. Um, but to speak about the show understanding a character or maybe not understanding a character, let's move to Perrin and, and Egwene and their situation. And how are you feeling, at least in this episode, where we get him being, Perrin being tortured and Egwene have, being forced to channel? There's a kind of an odd, like, it's, I mean, it's, it's just a different scene than what happens in the book, but they're, they're kept in the same room um, and we get this Valda character questioning them and he gives them this choice about how she's going to have to channel um, or he's going to die. Or if she channels, then she'll die, and he'll and he'll let Perrin live. So it's like this impossible decision they're supposed to make, and then he starts like cutting into Perrin, and this is the first time we see Perrin's eyes go kind of golden in the show, uh, which is in the book. Um, and I was, you know, I'm like, okay, this is an interesting way to go about this. Um, he's kind of like, uh, it's like poking the poking the wolf with a stick. So I'm like, okay, at some point here, we're gonna, he's gonna sort of unleash the beast within. He's expecting Egwene to uh, be the potential threat, but then I think Perrin is actually gonna be the surprise because uh, he's not expecting this from this from this from this man. And um, they kind of went that way. Um, Perrin does end up accidentally, it seems, summoning a bunch of wolves to attack the to attack the uh, camp, which is cool. And, and it's something pretty much out of the book. Um, however, 
it felt to me like Perrin didn't really get to do much here other than he sort of menaces and looms over Valda. And then I, I guess this is because they're trying to show Perrin as like trying not to be violent. I mean, they've very quickly gone into more quickly than I would have thought gone into the way of the leaf. Yeah, stuff. he's like really trying to follow the way of the leaf, it seems like. Um, and because of that, it doesn't feel like Perrin has gotten a chance to show how cool and like badass this character can be. And, and when he's in protective mode, I think that that's one of the strongest things for Perrin. And we don't get to see that here. Um, so ultimately, I was a little underwhelmed from from Perrin's uh, perspective here. I do think Egwene's stuff is mostly strong. I, I like seeing her uh, learn to channel in her own way and um, you know stand up against these kind of these kind of villains. So this scene in the book was Lan coming to save the day, yeah. and obviously they wanted to set it up as Batman, like we talked right. about. He's sort of Batmaning in and out. Yeah, Lan and Naive, yeah. And so they wanted to change it to these characters saving themselves, which I think is a good change. I think that's cool. Sure. Like you said, Perrin like, kind of seemingly scared the guy yeah. because he was menacing, and then that's when he was able to get him with a knife. But it didn't feel like a super satisfying, like, save... It didn't feel super satisfying for either character. I mean, I thought it was cool that Egwene was, like, sort of using like slight she like shot a fireball and then also like helped him get released Perrin get released it seemed like yeah she like burned his uh wrist uh ropes yeah showing obviously that she's smart and she can she can handle a situation like that um and then they sort of run away and i don't just don't think that they've really especially with Perrin. i don't think that they've made the power even close to as cool as i thought it was in the book so yeah. far it just doesn't ha- it doesn't connect the same sometimes he'll like stare at a wolf and he'll be like this wolf isn't gonna it's not gonna hurt us it's here to help us and yeah it, i don't know i kind of want more from that long term so that i really hope that they're starting from humble beginnings with that and it becomes a lot cooler as I, time goes on yeah i have a lot of thoughts about Perrin, which i'll continue to touch on as we go um i do think a lot of this comes back to that original decision to have him kill his wife and how well, and I, it's addressed here, right? This is like he's tied up, and this is when he tells Egwene, and it's it's not touched on again. I don't think the rest of the season, and that's not satisfying enough to have been the like set up early on, and for this to be the payoff, I just don't I don't see it. We talked about in our last book episode, Brandon Sanderson has come out and said he advised against uh, having the Layla being murdered by or killed by Perrin in the first episode. He said, if you really want to do this sort of thing. Have it be uh, his his master Lewin, uh, who, who would be like the blacksmith that he worked for in the books. Have it be him instead, um, and you could do a lot of the same stuff without the the you know all the problems that come with having it be his wife. Um, and I just tend to agree with them, and I think that initial misstep is unfortunately carried I- I- throughout the season. And Perrin continues to be the character that I think they've gotten the most wrong. And I think they have the most work going forward to sort of win me back on. Um, Because as we've talked about before, Perrin is maybe my favorite character in the books and he's maybe my least favorite character in the show, which is a real shame. Well, and like you said, it just having him even have a wife, even if she didn't die or whatever, changes a lot of things that the tension between, Egwene and him which is addressed later like there's a lot of things that makes it more fucked up and like as a character I don't believe that Perrin would have a wife and be yearning for Egwene even in the back of his mind and like that kind of stuff so it yeah. continues to all right be... so you've op- you've opened a, a big a door here so let's talk about that that happens in a later episode but um since you mentioned it yes it is later revealed that Perrin has been yearning for Egwene and I also 
I hate that change. Um, yeah, and they kind of talk. There's a little bit of that potentially in the book, in the first book, where I'm like, you're like, there might be tension between. There's the some two sort of, of protectiveness going on, and you can kind of read it certain ways. Um, but um, I, I have always taken their relationship in the books to be much more of like a brother and sister who grew up together, um, and he has always been protective of her, but in the way a brother is protective of a sister. And they ultimately have a platonic relationship that I think is, uh, you know, that's the kind of thing I want to see more of in fiction, honestly. And I, I want to see more men and women just being platonic friends in our in our fiction. I think that's important to show. And I think this is a great example of that in the book. And unfortunately, they instead tried to create sort of a love triangle with him and and Rand and, and and I don't think it's going anywhere and I ultimately I think they're going to they're going to sort of walk it back and and say that he's over it now or something but it's still just frustrating to me because it it colors their relationship in a way that um it just feels very different than the more wholesome sort of uh one that is in the book All right well let's talk more about Rand and Matt and uh their trip to Tarvalon. They've now made it to Tarvalon and they're seeing the dragon and then uh, Rand meets Loyal. What did you think about Loyal? Yeah, I was going to ask you too. The same same question. Uh, Loyal's so I actually kind of like the look of him. He's not like over the top in the in the prosthetics. Like he's definitely bigger than the average person. Um, but he, he still looks very humanoid. And um, I think that works for the show. Um I mostly like the the sort of performance by Loyal. I think he was he was good. I I do think it felt like the character didn't have as much to do in the show, but yeah, mostly good. Uh, and then um, he ends up becoming important uh, when they when they go to the ways later. So, but yeah, I I, I don't know. I guess I, I wasn't particularly like wowed by the by the way they made the the builder the Ogier look. Um, but you know, I thought it was fine. Yeah. So my initial first time I saw him, hated was like, oh boy, this is gonna be rough. Yeah, like it. And then, it, but yeah. it grew on me pretty quickly. Okay. Um, and I actually like. I'm happy to say now, I like the design. I'd be super even going forward. Even when they get close to him, when he's interacting with other human characters, like he looks good enough to where I like it. And um, like you said, I, I, he just didn't. They kind of. He was less important less eccentric maybe a little bit like he had a little more to him and i was expecting like much much bigger like you said i was expecting him to be like two men instead he was like 25 percent bigger <laughs> you know like a little bit bigger than everybody else yeah he was just like a big person yeah. yeah and uh but overall happy with no no real complaints other than the fact that like especially in this first episode that we meet him but the only thing i would say is like i would love to have seen him do more and then the last episode is something we'll get to eventually. Yeah. Uh, so episode six is called The Flame of Tarvalon. Swan Sanchi, the Armalan seat, questions Leandrin for Loghain's gentling and Moraine's traveling for 20 years. Visiting Rand and Matt, Moraine detaches Matt from the tainted dagger from Shadar Logoth. Moraine has also found Egwene and Perrin. Megan, a blue sitter, orders Moraine to remain at the tower and Moraine tries to hide her motives from Leandrin. Moiraine asks Loyal a favor. Moraine and Suwan meet in secret, and the two lovers discuss their plan to find the Dragon Reborn. Moraine takes a reunited Nynaeve and Egwene to meet the Amerlin, where Egwene is awestruck and Nynaeve is suspicious. In the Hall of the Tower, Moiraine is exiled by Suwan in a ruse to allow her to leave the tower with the Two Rivers villagers. Moiraine gathers the Two Rivers villagers and Loyal at a waygate, 
where they will travel to the eye of the world to confront the dark one and uncover who the dragon reborn is matt hesitates and the other villagers loyal moraine and lan enter the ways without him Okay, there's something I got to mention here because uh, I told my wife I'd, I'd say it for her. <laughs> uh, she noticed that all of the Aes Sedai wear hoop earrings. That could be a reference to the wheel and to the circular nature and all this stuff. Because apparently that's like, yeah, I can totally see that. Yeah. So there's a lot of cool little like uh, costuming things going on here. And in particular, I think Moraine, the dress she's wearing, this blue dress, this like more formal looking dress that has some shoulder pads to it. Very striking. Um, and when she is, especially when she ends up later on getting this judgment passed down, we even see her with her blue, this blue uh, headband looking thing. I don't know what you call that. It's a pendant like thing that hangs on your forehead. And that is a very important piece of costuming in the books. Like she's wearing that quite frequently. Um, and we haven't seen it as much in the show, but I thought here it was like, it was really cool to see her in like full Moraine attire. And I thought this was like the most like spot on. She looks like she was described in the books here. At the end of the first book, we get Moraine like holding a pendant and she's using it to like eavesdrop and listen in. Is that what that's supposed to be on her forehead or is that something different? At the end of the first book? At the end of the first book, she's like listening in on Egwene and Rand talking. And he, she's like, she has like a comment about like, oh, the dragon is reborn. And that's how the book mm, ends. Maybe. And she uh, was using a something to like eavesdrop i can't remember if it was if it was that or not i know she has said in the past that it's just like a tool to focus her power it doesn't actually like do anything um she just uses it as a tool to like focus um which there are several of those kinds of things um she says that about her staff too i think at one point so um doesn't have any magic in it i don't think although we do occasionally see items that do have a sort of amplification power and we see one of those hap- uh, later later on in in the show um but let's back up a little bit because a lot of really interesting stuff here this, this this episode actually starts out with this opening of this little girl on the river and she's with her father and they're going fishing and we learn that she can actually um channel and then we see her home has been like burned down and then she's leaving for Tarvalon and saying goodbye to her father. And then we realize later that, that this is Suin. Um, it's just like a flashback to her as like a, a young girl on the river. Um, what did you think of Suin, uh, the the current Emerillon seat here that we meet? Uh, super intimidating. And I thought that one thing that I definitely want to talk about is fake outs in the show. And this this like switch that goes on that we'll, we'll talk about here in a little bit, but um, it is really well done because i didn't see it coming she was intimidating and i thought like you know i was like oh shit moraine's like up to her eyeballs and in like potentially like political vying and then also like this not not the seat of power that i thought she might be with within the tarble yeah. well within and the, leandrin uh, this, this red is like scheming and trying to like basically tattle on her and we we get the implication that the amarillan is not supposed to have any ties or any favorites any bias so because of that she has to to yeah be equal in her her con- condemnation and, and I, uh, I believed it and then also leandrin and some other people were talking about how like her grip is slipping the the amarillin's seat is like s- slipping a little bit she's losing her power people are not following her as much as they used to and i was like oh shit like she's gonna think that moraine's coming for the seat and they they use that really well to to disguise something that that we'll get to but uh i was talking about fake outs and the show's interesting and and what i mean what i mean by fake out is like something that book book readers would be expecting to happen 
versus the thing that they that they might still have happen just in a different way or they might not have happened. And then the way that they set these up, it keeps being like really surprising. But then there are times that like, so like, for example, the stuff with Matt, um, like when Maureen pulls the darkness from Matt, it like goes across her face and it's like on her face. And then like, she eventually like gets it off her face and like sends it to wherever, just like gets rid of it. Back into the dagger, but I guess. I back know. into the dagger. Yeah. That's what it was. But I thought for a second that she was going to like consume this darkness and it was going to be a total change from the book and she was going to have to like contend with the dis- and I'm and like that didn't end up happening. But these fake outs that just keep book readers guessing are are nice. But at the same time, some of the time the thing doesn't happen that we want to happen. And so it's like, I don't know. It's it's two varying degrees of success, I would say, with each one. Uh, but uh, the stuff that we end up getting between Moraine and Swan, very unexpected, but I actually ended up loving it. Like this, she keeps looking at this door and I, I was like, is this going to be the ways? Are they changing it? So the ways is in Tarvalon and I really wasn't going to like that. And then ultimately she like goes through it and it seems like kind of portal like, and I was like, this could be the ways. And then she gets through it and then she's waiting. And then there's this familiarity between the two characters and I don't know if this, again, I don't know if this is book accurate, if we get this eventually, but this stuff was awesome. Like this, the, the way that they were talking and the, we were getting like the deeper motives of both characters and sort of what Moraine's overall plan is and why she's been doing the things she's been doing. And then also we get to see her like vulnerable and like with someone she loves. And I, I just thought that was really cool. Yeah. Uh, so I have some book knowledge, which I can share it. I don't know how to approach it, really. I guess if you really don't want to hear, because this goes into some stuff that happens later, right? Like we haven't gotten there in the books yet. Um, so if you really don't want to hear it, I, I skip ahead a couple minutes. Um, but to me, this is a, this goes somewhere that Robert Jordan wasn't quite willing to go. And I'm very glad they did. Uh, my memory of it is it was sort of hinted at that maybe they had a relationship that went beyond a close friendship. But instead in the, in the books, I think it's much more that they're like, they they came up together as novices and they were extremely close friends. And Robert Jordan sort of hints, maybe there was something more or some people maybe thought that there was something more, but in the show they made it explicit. And um, I, I think that's better. You know, honestly, I think that that's more interesting. I think it gives more depth to their to their to their relationship overall. And you know, this is the kind of relationships we should be seeing more of on television, right? Uh, so I, I totally approve of it. Loved it. And um, yeah, I like the way it was it was shown here. And it was one of those things. It's like it, like you're saying, they keep us book le- readers on our toes because we also there's there is kind of this misdirection that goes on, but not quite in this way. And so when we're seeing Suen like lay into her as a book reader, you're like, well, are they going, are they going with a, that route where this isn't real? Or are they going to lean into it and say that she actually is? Cause they've changed so much. It's really hard to, to guess sometimes, but sometimes that's cool and it keeps you on your toes. And um, again, I was really happy when it was like, okay, they revealed that they are still, uh, not only really close friends, but also lovers in the show. I think I think it really works. Her eventual like exile that we'll get to a little bit. I think it's here at the end. Yeah, it's, it is in this episode. So she eventually gets exiled and it makes that like so impactful, right? Like she's basically saying, and I was very careful to notice the wording, right? So she's saying that until Swan recalls her yep. to the tower, 
she won't be coming back and i'm like fuck if she like dies or is unseated or something like that no longer has the power to call her back then she might not be able to come back to the tower ever and not to mention just that on top of the fact that she's not going to see her lover and they mentioned how like it's been so long and how how they spend so much time apart but they always knew that it was going to be that yeah. way. it's just tragic and like amaryllans aren't supposed to like have lovers i think and so there's a lot of that in this in this series where it's like the wisdom isn't supposed to marry and the amaryllans not supposed to marry and all this stuff you know warders aren't supposed to marry <laughs> i don't know they, they they can they can marry their own asadai i guess but it seems like not a lot of them are married to like other women because it would be a very, it's a very difficult thing, I think, to maintain if you're married to someone else but bonded to someone else, you know? I loved when Nynaeve and and Egwene ended up coming to talk to uh, Swan mm-hmm. and the way that, like, they, like, um, obviously, like, Egwene is so excited. She wants to be an Aes Sedai and everything like that. And then Nynaeve continues to just be, like, bad, like, just, like, not taking shit from Emony. But she's like, I don't care who you are. I'm a wisdom from two rivers, so I'm going to talk to anybody and everybody this yeah. way, yeah. I honestly think by the end of this in in the show, I think Nynaeve is easily one of my favorite characters, if not my favorite character. Yeah, no, and and honestly, the performance is great, absolutely killing it. Yeah, I also like what they're doing with Nynaeve in the show. Um, That that sort of stubbornness and just like willingness to say anything to anybody is is totally right out of the book too. So. Uh, yeah, and you see, that. like Leandrin is afraid of of the Armalan Sea. Yep. You know what I mean? Like she's like not willing to fuck around. And well, like, it's kind of like Nynaeve doesn't know enough to know. You right, know what I mean? Like true. like she's too yeah. ignorant of sort of the thing, and she doesn't care enough to learn. Um, yeah. You know, so uh, it'll be it'll be interesting to track that. But um, Leandrin also the other thing I wanted to note was how Moraine fucking owned Leandrin here. Because Leandrin's like like talking about how she's gonna you know I forget exactly what she was threatening her with but just like the the fact that she was hiding Nynaeve yeah. and all this other stuff and then Moiraine is basically like I know the guy that you go to sleep with on a date on like the regular so shut up or I'm gonna tell everybody and the Red Aja will not be okay with that and she like she like puts her in her place and I was like hell yeah of course she would have dirt on her she would have secrets because that's what the blues are for yeah there was a I was frustrated early on when Leandrin was like walking all over Moraine and like saying all this shit and Moraine wouldn't say anything and I was like why isn't she saying anything Moraine should be able to like totally trade you know verbal sparring with this woman and then I was like maybe they're saving it and then sure enough we get this scene and I was like okay so they're saving it for here it's that TV thing where you like build up this lack of something, and then when you get it, it feels like, oh, okay, you kind of close the circle there. Um, I think we were we were we were really waiting for this scene for Moraine to put her in her place, and she does, and uh, epically so. Um, so she also we we see this healing scene, like you said, and and Matt is uh, finally restored somewhat to his normal self. Um, unclear. Like, so the dagger, she like I don't know if she leaves it on the floor. Or like, because I kept wondering, I'm like, where did the dagger Lan, go? Like, did Lan pick it up? Yeah, he picked it up with like a blanket. Remember, he like threw a blanket over there and it seemed like he picked but it up. But later on, Pat and Fane has it. Right. So I don't get that, obviously. How did he get it? I don't know. I don't think the show shows us. There, I feel like there's some plot holes kind of going on here at the end. I was a little, little frustrated by and particularly surrounding this dagger. I'm like, I don't know what happens to it. Anyway, it seems like it's an important item that you should keep track of. Um, but yeah, I mean, this was mostly, this was mostly cool. Definitely liked the, the healing scene and it's, it is funny. And I remember feeling this way in the books too, of like how distrustful everyone is of Moraine. And yet we kind of know that she is a good person who has their best interest in mind. It's interesting to see how, how much naive and, and, you know, is like, I don't trust you. And I still don't trust you. And, you know, Rand is like, I still don't trust you. And it's like, oh, come on guys. This may be my favorite episode from this, this chunk, these four. 
Um, I really, really like this one. Um, and in particular, the final scene where she gets exiled, I think is some of the best Rosamund Pike, uh, Moraine acting of the entire series. When she is like, she is, she is asked specifically for Suen to do this and requested, like, you're going to have to exile me. That's what's going to have to happen. And yet when it happens, you can tell it hurts. And the, the thing where everybody turns their back on her and then she has to walk out and she's like barely keeping it together. And then she walks out and even her friends that, you know, the couple of Ace that I, we've seen her be friendly with, um, turn their backs on her. Um, well, and, and like it's Lan is like, I can be in the hall with you if you want me to be. And she's like putting on a strong face and she's like, no, I don't need you to. It's fine. Like we've all planned for this. But the actual moment that it happens, it's a lot more impactful. Yeah. You know, it's like she she it's it's got a lot of weight to it, because like I said, she might never come back. Yeah. And uh, I think she she killed it in this scene. This was this was the moment I was like, any doubts I had about about her as Maureen are, are gone. So you said this this past one was potentially your favorite yeah. episode. I think this next one is my favorite yeah. episode. I, I think this this next one and the, and the previous one are the, are, the, are the two that I I have to think more about before I could decide which one is actually my favorite. Right. Yeah. Then the last one had some great scenes to it. Seven for some reason I was sucked into the whole time, and seven is called the dark along the ways. The two rivers villagers who followed Moraine into the ways argue about returning for Matt, but continue forward. Loyal guides them along the ways, which has been corrupted. The group encounters a Trolloc. Egwene repels the Trolloc, but the one power attracts Machen Shin, Black Wind, which provokes their deepest fears. Nynaeve repels Machen Shin with the power, while Moiraine opens the way gate to Faldara. A man along the ways follows them to Faldara. Once there, they argue with Moraine, who reveals whoever is not the dragon would die if they reached the Eye of the World. Moiraine visits the seer Min Farshaw. Nynaeve and Lan, the heir to the lost kingdom of Malkir, have sex. Egwene and Rand reconcile. Rand recalls that Tam was present at the Battle of the Shining Walls and encountered a pregnant maiden of the spear who died giving birth to Rand, whom Tam raised. Machen Shin taunted Rand, telling him he is the dragon. Rand had channeled to escape both an earlier dark friend and the Trolloc in the ways. Rand and Moraine leave Faldara to go to the Eye of the World, leaving the rest behind. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about that opening, huh? Yeah, pretty crazy. Um, first of all, just getting into the ways. I was excited that the ways looked pretty cool. I was really happy with how the ways looked. Oh, yeah, I, I agree. I also think they looked great. Um, I like the lightning that would occasionally light up the larger space. So you could you could kind of see the just the scope of where they were at. It's a very hard thing from the books. I was like, I don't know how they're going to capture this because it's a very sort of surreal place. And um, I actually think they kind of nail it here. I think it looks great. Um, but I actually was talking about before that we get this cold open and it's the, this ale woman pregnant fighting multiple dudes on the side of this mountain in the snow. And, uh, for my money, this is the best action sequence in the entire show so far. It was the best choreography. It was the coolest. Um, she's great camera work that like really showed a lot of like kinetic motions, but also like great angles that were like showing off like this person's like combat skills are clearly like ridiculous. And she's like, she's pregnant and she's just like fucking killing all these guys yeah. in full armor. It's so cool. And uh, I know we'll yeah. eventually get it, but like, I don't, I, I'm sure that they're just like a w- people of warriors and they even have their pregnant women go out and fight, but like a pregnant woman being on the battlefield doesn't seem like a great idea in general. Just because, like, it's, like, the for the health of the baby, at least, you know? Like, I, I don't know. 
uh, I think there is precedent for this in the book, which we'll, you get to eventually. Um, so I think these women are called um, like spear maidens or something like that. And um, I, I, I think there is some precedent for them fighting while pregnant. Um, I'm not sure what the exact details of that are, um, but uh, yeah, I think that is that is something from the book. Um, and you know, he, clearly this is this is Rand's mother here, right? We we, we learn. Uh, we don't know, maybe know immediately, but like if you've read the books, you know. <laughs> right. And you see that hair I was, and blade. Well, I was thinking about that too. Like, I wonder if like just show watchers picked up on that. It's pretty clear. Like by the end of the scene, it cuts to him in a similar kind of like. It, it's like going from him, and it's like, and the baby was very important, and cuts to him. Yeah. I think at, uh, at the end of the episode, they, they make it clear, right? Because they show Tam is the one who's who's there, yeah. I was happy, too, that like this is the Tam sort of hallucination that I like I loved in the book that we didn't get, but we're just getting it as sort of like a vision scene from Min slash also like Rand remembering something or whatever. Yeah, Min sees Rand holding a baby, and I guess that was a pr- like a premonition of what happens in the next episode is my guess. Um, cause I was a little bit unclear on that one. Um, yeah, I don't think it was a throwback to this one, but I could, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Maybe that's, maybe that baby is himself. Not sure. Um, but anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah. And then we get the, the entrance into the ways in which Matt does not, does not go through. And we get our, our first of many big changes we're going to get with this whole eye of the world plot line. And that's that Matt doesn't even go along in the, in the show. He, he stays. Yeah, behind. I was pissed, like legit pissed. Yeah. I was like, why? Well, and what also sucks is this is the last this is like the last we really see of him. Like we get a brief glimpse of him in the next episode, but like Matt doesn't get to do anything else in this, in this season. Really? I don't get it. I really don't get it. Why? And like, I, I, cause I don't have the knowledge of the next few books or whatever. Maybe they're setting him up to do something that he does later. But I had the, like, I had the sense in the books at least that he had like sort of shaken this darkness and he was going to, but the last glimpse we see of him, he's like pretty clearly like still fucked up from whatever evil shit's going on. I, yeah, um, I think, and I don't want to spoil anything in the book or the show, but I just, I'll just say that I think they're accelerating his journey with the darkness from Shadow Lorgoth. Um, and they're, they're, they're trying, I, I think it will all be addressed next season. And, um, in order to get him in position for that to happen, I think they decided to have him kind of split from the party here. Um, and then he can kind of do his own thing. That's my guess. Um, it, it is unfortunate that he will be recast. We've talked about that. It seems like the guy is not returning. So I don't know if they'll... I'm wondering if they'll find a way to address that in show or if they're just going to like not say anything and re- recast him. I don't know. I'll be curious we'll see. to see what they do. Maybe the darkness touches him and it changes his appearance or something. <laughs> yeah, but maybe you can find it in, in-universe way. I'm wondering if there was some sort of dispute or something and he was like cut out of the last couple episodes because know. they were like... It does seem yeah. weird. I don't know. I haven't read that. Um, I don't know if they've made it public, if so. But anyway, uh, the rest of them go through the ways. And uh, it's interesting that it says Egwene is the one who hits the Trolloc with the one power. But I think it's later revealed that it was Rand, right? Yeah, it is. But that was a good fake out again. I didn't I didn't get that. I I definitely the first time through, I did not catch it. I just assumed Egwene did that. Yeah, it looked like it came from her. She looked surprised when it happened. And then it kind of recontextualizes later that maybe she was surprised because she didn't actually do it. Well, I'm, I think she's convinced that she also did it. She says, like, I, I, I didn't mean to channel there. And I think it's just, like, he, like, grabbed her and they both. It looked like it could have been either of them. But I, I in the first place, you didn't really, I don't know. I didn't think anything of it. Uh, yeah, and then Nynaeve uses her, like, sphere of protection again that she, like, like gets rid of the 
Ma Chin Shin is like really closing in on them and they're all hearing the voices and then she blasts it back yeah. for a second. And this is the first reveal uh, in the show of Perrin's secret affection or romantic attraction for Egwene. Um, and my my initial reaction was I viscerally disliked it, um, which we've already touched on a little bit. Uh, my wife, also not a fan. We've just talked about how like it feels like Perrin has been mangled in the show. Like this, it, they, they've they've made some big choices with this character that has set him back in my opinion and made him less interesting, given him less to do. And unfortunately I I think the, you know, the actor portraying him is, has been saddled with all of this difficulty in the, in the writing that he's trying to overcome. And he doesn't get a lot of moments to like win us over. Like if you think about Perrin in the season, it's a lot of moping. It's a lot of like, looking confused and looking sad and looking conflicted and not a lot of him doing anything particularly interesting or cool. Um, and that's frustrating. Right. Which is a bummer because the whole point that he was trying to address that, that Rafe Judkins was trying to address is he wanted to give these characters more layers and things to do early on and build up their characters. And I think the opposite happened here. Like, I feel like we still don't know that much about Perrin. And instead, we he's in the wrong direction. You know what Perrin should have been a lot more like, in my opinion? Now, he's a very, very different character. But uh, a little bit like Amos from uh, The Expanse, in that he can start out as just kind of a, a soft-spoken but kind of dangerous powerhouse. And then, over time, be kind of become a fan favorite. And I think Perrin has the potential to do that. Um, and unfortunately, I, I don't know if they can recover from ha- how many missteps they've taken with this character in this first season, which is a real shame because, again, love that character in the books. It's a bummer. I, I think that there's still plenty of time. I think that Jeff Bezos hopefully is committed to <laughs> oh, uh, giving us more Wheel of Time. Let's not give Bezos any more credit than he needs, okay? Right. <laughs> okay, his wallet, his his company has, has committed to... Uh, to making more and i mean the fact that this show was already underway before the first season was the second season was underway before the first was out shows that they're going to continue come hell or high water so i think that hopefully that they hear the reactions from the fans and they can sort of you know redo some things here and there and and change it's a big mess it's going to take it's going to take some cleaning up but it's not impossible i hope that they do it um i wanted to ask you okay so now we get agomar we get faldara um, and we get Min. So, out, but I want to start start off with Faldara, the entrance into Faldara, because that was a really memorable sequence in the book that we definitely talked about, and the way that uh, Lan was addressed by the people. And this we hear about Daishan. And um, how did you think that the show approached it by, by comparison? What did you think of it? I wish that when they first rolled up to see any soldiers, I wish they would have done the thing that happened in the book, which is immediate like love for this character they, they showed respect but i would have liked to have seen like the whole like are you gonna raise the banners yeah. like are you here to change the world and and he he sort of was just like they respected him bowed to him and he smiled and then uh i thought for a second that they were gonna do away with land's backstory I and too. i was gonna fucking lose it i was like there's no way that you can get away with not having land's story yeah. like fleshed out in this talking about fake outs i thought i thought they were they were gonna completely change it for a minute there yeah and then they had this family who i thought potentially was going to be his family yeah. or something and they had escaped and i was like holy shit they totally fucked it and again this is one of those fake outs for book readers yeah. where i think they pulled it off and and like i don't i don't know that the reasoning was great but like ultimately knowing that those were the basically like, his adoptive family 
that yeah take, took and it, one of his father's soldiers who helped him escape yeah. one of the five that made it eventually back to actually him. deliver him I'm happy that this the story eventually comes out i think he's more gives it to nynaeve later um as context because yeah. she like comes to dinner and then they have sex or maybe before they have sex whatever yeah which is a, another huge leap yeah um they're speeding some of this stuff up for sure yeah a lot of that, a lot of the romantic stuff has been played up a lot and accelerated. Robert Jordan is a very fade to black, like, I mean, which I guess they mostly do here too, but mostly, um, yeah. it, it, he like, he wasn't very interested in getting into the bedroom. <laughs> Let's just say that about Robert Jordan. He would allude to stuff sometimes and every now and then you'd get a little bit of a, you know, borderline sex scene, but you know, nothing, nothing too risque happens in these books. So, uh, yeah, I think they're they're trying to push the envelope a little bit with the show here. Not that this was a particularly risque scene, but like, I don't know. They're trying to up the uh, the sort of heat level. You know what I mean in the show? Well, and, and like we didn't even talk about it, but there was nudity before, which I yeah. thought like, and it's more casual nudity. It's not like sexualized. Yeah, like in in the in the bathhouse, there's some people naked, right? Yeah, which is fine. You know, it's it's good to have nudity. People are naked, and and it's just the natural bodies. There's no reason to have any sort of like shame or right. be weird about. Well, that and it's kind of again stuff. them trying to, I think, raise the the uh, level of you know the age, whatever in the show. Like they want this to be an adult show. You know, maybe not on the t- on par with Game of Thrones, but like as far as like explicitness, but like it's a show for adults and they're wanting to make that clear. And I think that's a smart thing to do, because as the show pr- continues to progress, you want the audience to be there the, who are adults. Uh, ultimately, um, you know, it can appeal to teens and I'm sure it does. I'm sure there are a lot of teens who are watching this, but um, your, your primary audience it should be adults, I think. Um, what about Agamar? So it, it was kind of an interesting portrayal of Agamar, right? Like he seems a lot more hot-headed and sort of strong-willed, but like pretty pretty similar, I guess, to the character in the book. Um, there's some changes in how things play out with this whole fighting at the Gap, which we'll get into next episode more. Um, we also meet his sister, uh, Amalisa, um, who uh, is the one, like you were saying, who doesn't have the stone in the ring. And apparently she came and like studied at the tower, but wasn't able to achieve the shawl. Um, and, and instead is, has this empty ring as some sort of sign that she has been trained somewhat, but isn't actually uh, an Aes Sedai. So I don't know. That was a character we didn't touch on at all in the book, I think. And again, I don't know if this is a book character that eventually shows up, but cool to introduce, you know, another layer to this family. And, uh, you know, ultimately the stuff that happens with her is fairly interesting. I thought it was cool to have like a character that, you know, could basically was like sensitive to the source but couldn't wield it and isn't like as gifted or whatever because you know you kind of need that when everybody in the show so far that can touch the to touch the source has been ridiculously overpowered you do need some people who are more like ground level like can touch it but don't like end up pursuing it or don't end up like strong enough or something like that so you can see the the levels of it it's like oh you're also the strongest in a thousand years and you're strongest in a thousand years and yeah you don't want that <laughs> Uh, you know, there are a lot of different various uh, power levels. Uh, not everybody's making the, the reader bl- bust off your eye over 9,000. Sorry, Dragon Ball Z reference there. Um, okay, so, but yeah, now, now uh, very, like, I don't think it's a huge spoiler to say Min is an important character. Um, and we get Min here, and I have to be really careful about the ways in which I talk about Min, because in the book, she has only been introduced briefly, and she hasn't done a whole lot. We get her introduced here. She does some reading. I feel like we get a little more men here. Um, and I'm just curious to know what your thoughts are on this character and that you've seen them on screen and you've seen her on screen. And like, what do you, what do you think of her? 
yeah, different personality than I was expecting. I thought she was going to be more mysterious in like a like cloak over your face, kind of like giving, you know, like that kind of prophecy giver, the, like being a bartender and being like more approachable seemingly as as a as a seer is interesting. The getting okay, so seeing something in film or on a TV show versus getting the interpretation of what you're seeing in your mind's eye when you're reading something. Uh they were careful to not show some things, but like seeing these things uh, with like Perrin has the, the gold eyes. He's like covered in blood. Uh, Rand has a baby and it's like, you know, they're, they're giving us what they think that won't spoil. But it feel, felt very much like, of course, all these things are going to happen. Min has said as much. And uh, most of them happen immediately. Like even um, we she sees Nynaeve like have the like burned eyes and stuff and that happens in the next episode i think the baby happens in the next episode so we don't get a lot of like far future predictions here which we actually get a lot of those in the book she hits some she rattles off a bunch that she sees and i was interested to see they really scaled that back in the show they're they're realizing that they can't or else people are going to put all the puzzle pieces together right away yeah maybe in a show i think it's like you're showing things that like if you it's kind of hard to give like an interpretive version of things or i don't know they could have done the visions differently obviously it could have helped but like showing the Rand characters does and- return later to talk to her and he gets a few more that she says i think she says something about see my problem is that it can run together with the book but doesn't she say something about beautiful like three beautiful women to him yes okay one of my things she like- said three beautiful women and something else like something and three beautiful women like a, a, a crown or not maybe not a crown but like a yeah i think you're right I can't remember exactly. Again, it kind of runs together with what she said in the book, which we just read. Um, but I, I'm I'm really curious, book readers, uh, and I'm trying to be really careful because I don't want to spoil James to anything. But uh, there is a major plot line for men that I'm wondering if they're going to change. And at first I was convinced, much, much like we've talked about with other characters, where I'm like, well, I guess they're doing away with that plot line and they're doing something completely different. And I was convinced for a while, but then by the end of this episode and the end of men's scenes, I, I kind of came back around to thinking maybe we'll still go that route. We'll still go the way of the book. Um, so I'm curious to know from people uh, if you can if you can reach out to me without spoiling James, um, whether or not you think they'll go the way of the book. I, I will be curious. Uh, yeah, a lot of changes with that character, but I'm glad to see she made it into season one. I thought she wasn't going to be in season one at all. And I was like, oh man, what are they going to do with men? Are she going to get written out of the show? Cause again, it's like there, some of the changes are so big that almost anything is on the table, right? You're like almost like major characters could be completely omitted. Like we still haven't seen several major characters. Elias has not shown up in the show so far. Like there are certain characters that are gone and it's like, are they going to get introduced later? All the characters who we met in Camelin, like almost all of them are not in the show so far. So Will we get them? I hope so. Well, I would say as somebody who read the first book and like has seen this first season of the show now, I think they kept Min mysterious enough to where I'm not 100% sure on everything that's going to happen with her. So take that for what you will. But uh, I think it's good to move into episode eight here. Episode eight is called The Eye of the World. 3,000 years ago, the Tamerlan seat warns Luz Theron Telamon of the dangers of his plan to imprison the Dark One. In Faldara, Nynaeve tells Lan how to track Moiraine. Thousands of Trollocs attack Faldara. In the Blight, Moiraine gives Rand a Sa'angriel, an ancient object to enhance his power to defeat the Dark One. At the Eye, Rand sees a vision of him and Egwene starting a family, which the Dark One tells him can come to fruition, trying to tempt him to the Shadow. The Dark One cuts Moiraine's connection to the One Power. As the Faldara army falls, five women, including Nynaeve and Egwene, channel against the attack and destroy the Trollocs. All but Egwene 
burnout from excessive channeling, who is saved by Nynaeve's sacrifice. Egwene then heals Nynaeve. Perrin uncovers the horn of Valir, which can summon history's greatest warriors. Padden Fane steals it, revealing he is a dark friend who visited the two rivers to find the five Tavirin. Rand chooses the real Egwene, hitting the Dark One with the Sa'angril and fracturing the unbreakable seal he stood upon. Fearing madness, he goes into hiding. Land finds Moraine, who tells him that this was not the last battle. In the west, great exotic ships arrive, whose channelers generate powerful waves. So there are things I like about this episode, but overall, I think this is one of the weakest we've had since the beginning of the show. Yeah, I agree. I was... I was bummed too because it was leading up to, and, and you know some of these like like we've said I like seven a lot you like six yep. a lot I like six as well but um this this episode felt like it was they tried to cram in so much it was scattered and some of the stuff didn't pay off well some of the choices they made but one thing that I did like seeing was being three thousand years ago seeing Luz Theron Telamon and uh, you know I have to say that it was notable that like the overall look of everything looked a lot different right 3000 years ago the 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 costuming is different the furniture is different everything looks pretty different it's really cool because in the books like you get references to things looking different but it's a book so you have to fill in the blanks right for a lot of this stuff and you might be imagining it looking more modern but you don't have like a concrete proof of that in the show they're like have to make choices about set design and costuming right and this is they make some choices where you're like, holy shit, what show am I watching when you're first watching it? Like, you're like, what, where's and then we look out the window and we see fucking flying cars and shit, right? Or flying ships of some kind. And yeah, and it's very futuristic. And this is 3000 years ago. So we get this idea of like when they're talking about the Age of Legends and they're talking about before the world was broken, they mean like the technology level. Everything was on a whole nother level. And and now now we've been reduced to this sort of medieval style world, but that is not how it used to be. Right. Yeah. Fascinating stuff, because like that's going to play a part. Obviously, we're going to get more of Luz going forward. And I but I did think it was cool that the Tamerlan seat was was like warning. And it seemed like they were together. Right. Yeah, it did. It did seem that way. Yeah. Yeah. And like his plan was going to go poorly. And it's, you know, we got a lot more context for like some stuff that was talked about in the book. It was interesting that they didn't show the opening of the book has not been broached yet in the show. Yeah. Very interesting. I thought that's what we were getting. I thought so too. I was like, oh, we're going to get it here. No, they've they've saved it. I think we will get it eventually. I think they're building to it, but they want to lay a little groundwork here. And I didn't remember in the opening scene of the book there being a baby. So that's notable as well, I would say. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know. If, I don't want to spoil it because like if you've only seen the show, I don't want to give any details about it. But yeah, uh, so let's move on. <laughs> um, the Dark One. Um, I don't know. He was he was OK, but like, I, like overall, I found him intimidating, but maybe not as intimidating as I would have liked from the Dark One. Like, like yeah, the big I bad. Like, I mean, there were a couple of times that he was like even, you know, when Rand was like getting the better of him, he was like showing a little too much fear and then like of course in the last minute he does like a little smile like he it was all part of the plan to like test rand and this is all going according to his plan but i would have liked he he, i would have liked to have seen more like you said like anciently epically evil and like and it just seemed like he was like he could have just been one of the forsaken potentially you know yeah there yeah i won't talk about anything from the books (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm having to bite my tongue a lot here. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I'll be interested to see what what way they go with it in the show. There's potentials to do some of the, like we've talked about, where they kind of bait and switch us with some stuff in the show. There's a potential to do that here, and I wonder if they will. Um, the Forsaken are talked about, by the way. They they're are like, they're like figures that are talked about. So like that's on the table still. If that was the dark one, I mean, that, that it better stuff. be the, the Forsaken are a very important part of this series going forward. So yeah, I, I think we're going to be seeing some Forsaken in next season. I imagine they're going to start bringing them in. Um, but let's talk about some of the massive changes here because we actually end the previous episode with Moraine masking her bond with Lan and taking Rand alone to go to the Iowa of the world without the rest of the party. And they have set this up. They have set up Moraine feeling guilty about potentially getting the other ones killed. They've set it up with uh, her having previously masked Land's bond so that he, uh, so we understand how that works. Um, they've set it up in certain ways, but I still don't like it. I, I it still, it, it still feels like it feels like a dumb idea. Like uh, it would, it would be a very foolish thing for Moraine to do. And it feels foolish in the show. It ends up being pretty foolish and, you know, sure enough, it works out, but that's kind of like magic plot armor reasons. Um, the, 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 her going in kind of half cocked without even her warder, which is like a fundamental betrayal of their, of their relationship. In my opinion, like, you don't do that to your warder. Like, I, I don't know. I and mean, like, you know, you could argue like she thought she was going to die. So she was trying to like have land not be there and get killed as well or something. But like, I well, don't know, my, man, this is regardless of that, like the warder bond stuff. She has said multiple times. She doesn't care if the others die as long as the, the dark one is taken care of. So why would she then out of nowhere be like, you know what? Let's save these people. You know, yeah, like, I, I don't know. I, the wor- I think I think the most egregious one is Lan because they're literally like bonded warriors who have been fighting against the Dark One for years, and everything they do is about this battle. She thinks this is the final battle that I'm about to go take Rand to, and she fights as a unit with him. And for her to say, "Ah, you know what? In this moment, I'm going to spare him against his will." I, I just feel it feels like a character betrayal to me. I, I just don't see Moraine doing that to Lan in the book and not in this way. And it, it, and then even the, the way that he's able to get there is so flimsy. Nynaeve is just like, there's a tell. And he's like, tell it to me. And then like we see him later just like going through the blight, you know, just like magically following her, basically, because we're never told what it is. We're not we don't ever see him like looking at the ground as if he's actually tracking somebody. He just can magically follow Moraine now. (laughs) So Well, and like this is something that I guess we should address here is like the show is kind of has kind of been setting up this idea that they might still end up going with overall. And maybe the books end up this way. I don't know. But it seems to me like all of these characters are so important that they may all be combined, the dragon plus whatever abilities. The come many-headed along. dragon, that concept gets said at one point in this episode. Think, yeah, right? and so it's like, if if this is the case, having these characters stay back after all this time of setting it up to be different than the novel where it is Rand-centric, all these characters are important, but then in the final battle, the final scene, it's just going to be Rand and Moraine. kind of defeats the purpose of having it been so like setting up these other characters is just as important when like ultimately the final battle that's being fought is like the, the battle at Faldara is a B story in a sense, 
while the A story has Moraine and Rand and like the rest of the characters get left behind. I just I just feel like that was like being set up all along and to leave them behind. I know that they wouldn't have had a ton to do when it came to fighting the Dark One yeah. when they got well, there. And one of the reasons and, and it's kind of a book spoiler, but I, I think we need to say it. Um, there are two characters at the Eye of the World that are not in the show, and that is Bothamel and Agonor, who are two of the Forsaken. And uh, a lot of like doing battle with them is I kind of think what a lot of the like party has to do. And by cutting them out of the eye of the world, um, in addition to the green man, by the way, who we just <laughs> we just mentioned how similar the eye of the world, you know, uh, was in, in with its use of the green man as to the green knight. And um, in how we thought maybe uh, Robert Jordan was actually making a reference to that poem. Um, and then we get we get this moment in the show and there's no green man. And I was a little bit disappointed in that. Um, and the whole eye of the world in general, like I, I like that I could actually see it. Um, and in the book, it gets very surreal. But even so, like, I don't know. I was a little underwhelmed with the way it played out. Oh, man, the, the battle that goes down, the fact that he just shoots sparks one time at him and channels like one time and like hits him with yeah. it. And, like, I get that it was a powerful hit, yeah. but like it was very underwhelming. Yeah. It was all more like psychological. He has this vision with Egwene and he has to like resist it. And like, I that's okay with for me, but like, I would have liked to see uh, like in- include one other of the Forsaken or something and have them doing battle with, with Nynaeve and, and Lan and like have some of the people there fighting. And maybe if you need to leave behind Perrin or somebody who, you know, could have been, could have been left behind. I don't know. There, there's a way to do it that isn't, ultimately what we got and then even Perrin like I I was like okay so they're gonna make him stay behind and not participate in the battle but he learns he's like what's another way I can be useful and apparently that's just to go help out these guys get the the, get the horn out of the fucking ground um because they weren't gonna be able to do it on their own I don't know he doesn't he doesn't seem to do much there he spots Pat and Fane chases him through the halls with no weapon he looks at the axe but leaves it and then he goes just like with no weapon to find him doesn't find him and then like circles back around and by the time he gets back Benefane has killed Loyal and has killed like a bunch of seemingly. these other guys I don't seemingly, know that we got confirmation that Loyal's yeah, dead yeah and that's true for several of the characters like we see Agamar take a spear and looks like he's dead maybe he won't end up he being should be dead. I don't know Agamor should be dead as far as that injury is concerned but like we saw like an off screen stab of Loyal yeah. like we didn't we haven't seen a ton he looked it looked like a pretty i think right when he walks up uh, he gives the killing blow i thought um but maybe maybe not i don't know i'd have to watch it again but like ultimately i was i was shocked because i was like maybe they're killing loyal off here which is a big change um and then Perrin again it's just like he he just kind of does nothing he's faced with pat and fane and ends up like doing doing and saying nothing and in the couple of mill draw and they leave now i will say i'd like the change in having pat and fane actually do something here and be a villain and and um not just be caught trying to scale the walls by some guards and then like like his entire plan is shown now pat and fane goes on to do more in the books but like in the he's very underwhelming at the end of book one he's not really a big threat whereas here he is and i actually think that's a fairly smart change i just i don't know perrin's whole plot line is such a mess and he doesn't ever get to do anything cool all of our other characters have showcase moments Right, Nynaeve and and um, Egwene go out and they form this channel uh, circling group with uh, Amalisa, who uh, ends up drawing too much of the power, but she kills this like massive army of Trollocs in a huge display of the power, which I did not think we were going to get in season one. Um, and and then. 
but like you see two women who are weaker in the power get burnt out. And I noticed that their like little streams were, were dimmer when she was drawing right. on it. So well, they had less, they had less like, like almost like coils yeah. going into them. So that was cool. Like they're, they're doing a lot of interesting stuff here. I think overall it looked pretty good. It does. Sometimes the one power gets a little bit one notey for me in the, in the, in the books there. I'm always amazed with the ways in which they are able to achieve different uh, power, like uh, effects with the one power. And in the show, it felt like it's a lot of just like bursty light and uh, you know swirlies that lead to a boom. And maybe you see some lightning. And that's like mostly what you get. Um, there's a lot of cool stuff that happens in the books, but maybe they're saving it. Maybe we'll get some of it in later seasons. So. I was going to say, I hope that we see more thing. I, I, I always assumed that like you can, because like we saw um, Egwene like shoot little bursts of fire and stuff. Yeah. Like I need to see more of that, more elemental yeah. bending and like whatever. You can do so much with the one power. It's it's pretty wild yeah. and we haven't seen hardly any of it in the show. Yeah. So we got to get more of that. Um, I, I was really worried they were going to kill Nynaeve for a second. Um, she burned out. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, I don't know how you can have the show and still do that, but they, they, you know, and again, like, like I said, like they do such big changes that almost anything is on the table to a certain point. So you're like, Ugh. you got to be careful with doing like fake and character deaths yeah. though, like too many times. At a certain point, you'll become the boy who cried wolf, right? <laughs> yeah. You got to be careful with doing that stuff for sure. Um, so I, I, you know, I'd like to see them not bait and switch that stuff too many more times. Uh, the but overall, I mean, the display, like you said, was a massive display of this like lightning and stuff. And uh, Egwene brings Nynaeve back with healing of some yeah, kind. Yeah, it seems like it's Egwene. Um, it wasn't clear to me, but I, I don't know who else it would have been. So it must have been Egwene. Right. Rand, maybe. I don't know. But yeah, like, I don't know. Ne- it didn't it look like so she was like, looked like she was almost surprised, but maybe that's just because she doesn't control her own power yet. Um, one thing I wanted to, to mention there was a moment where <laughs> they're riding out to the gates to man the gap and they're on this massive wall and the Trollocs are attacking and we're riding our horses at the wall. And I was like, if they fucking ride through this wall, get on the other side and fight them in front of the gates again, I'm going to like lose my shit at television. I was going to be so mad because I have PTSD from season eight of fucking game of Thrones with this stupid tactics that were on display. And I was so glad that they fucking, went up into the wall, got crossbows and f- rained down arrows on the sieging uh, uh, Trollocs. Cause like, I, man, I, I can't, I'm, I cannot deal with another like stupid charge out in front of your protection. Uh, so dumb. And I thought we were, I honestly thought we were going to get it. I was like, they're fucking doing it again. I was so convinced. I, I think I just had PTSD, PTSD <laughs> of a kind from that. <laughs> Luckily, that's not what happened. Oh, I meant to mention before, Pat and Fane gets away with the horn of Valyria, yeah, too, does. which doesn't happen in the book. He, they, they have the the horn. They're leaving. Like Moraine is leaving with the horn in the book um, towards some the other the other coast, yeah. I believe. Yeah, uh, I think I think you're right. I wish I had I could remember for sure, but I think you're right. <laughs> um, I got to talk more about this Rand Dark One situation because, like, I, I found it underwhelm- underwhelming too because it's not even like Rand touches this amazing piece of the power, which, like, in the book, it's very clear he touches the power and it's this like unbelievable feat. He does all this crazy shit. He like shows up in the gap and like he creates all like these an people, earthquake. I didn't even need to stuff, see. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't need to see all of that, but I needed the display to be like more impressive than just like him hitting with like one blast or whatever. Um, and the other thing is he he doesn't do it on his own. He does it using a saw and grill, which is like 
not as impressive. So we have no real hint of like how powerful Rand is or isn't. Now I will say in the book, he also is using the power of the eye of the world. Cause in the eye of the world is actually like a well of like liquid one power source somehow that he's of in, the male of the male side like untainted yeah, male it's like it's just like source. this reservoir of power and that's not in like we don't get any of that in the in the show instead we get the song real which i will say isn't a real thing in the book and this and the way it's designed is very like a specifically from the book how it looks in the book so um mm-hmm. that all we saw i mean we maureen already used one in the first book yeah. i remember her using she uses it. a different one i think though not this one i think because i think this one only works for men uh, i'm pretty sure and she has it and gives it. She uses it, to him. it, I think, to heal Tam. I, th- I believe. Yeah, she uses she uses a Sangriel, but I think they're. I th- I could be wrong about this, but I think they're specifically tied to the half of the source. So like, it wouldn't. This wouldn't be of any use to her. It has to be a male user, I think. Um, it, but they may change that for the show. I don't know. Uh, one thing I wanted to note for book readers is uh, there is a moment where Pat and Fane gets admittance into the uh, into the fortress. By saying the words, the kingfisher flashes above the pond. And then they're like, how did you know that? And like, it's like a, p- a password and they let him in. Um, and I just think that's a cool book refer- book reference for people. Um, it's not something that's ever going to appear in the show, I don't think. Because how really could it? Um, but uh, I don't know. It's not too much of a, it's not too much of a spoiler. So I guess I'll just explain it a little bit. In the book, um, when we get more sword, fo- sword play later on in the series, which we haven't gotten a ton of actually in the, in the first book. Uh, Robert Jordan loves to describe fighting styles in this way. So he'll say something like this character then performed the Kingfisher flashes above the pond. And he countered with a heron swoops in from the like, it's very like metaphorical and you're left to sort of decide what that looks like for you. And some people love it. Some people absolutely hate it. <laughs> um, but he loves the way, like, this is one of the ways in which he describes, like, epic duels. Um, so I just thought it was funny that this was a very particular phrase. I was like, that's got to be an exact quote from the book for one of these. And he just says it to get admittance into the into the fortress. It's super funny. I'm looking forward to getting more, like, I, I can't wait to read more, which we'll, we'll address here in a second. But last thing that we have to talk about in this episode, Moraine gets stilled. Yeah. Well, yeah, maybe. <laughs> as far as we yeah. as far as we know right yeah. she gets she can't touch the source she says at the end here now didn't at the end of the book she was like having trouble like i don't think regaining so. some of her power she was like super tapped out or something maybe yeah that that could be the case but but she like i said i remember specifically her using her powers like right at the end like she's like using her powers to like eavesdrop that's the last thing we get in the book that would be a pretty big change um it would be Almost akin to like, remember in the old guard, eh, this would be a, <laughs> there's a thing that happens in the old guard that is a massive change from the comic to the show, to the movie that we watched. And to me, it would be kind of akin to that. Um, and it would be a big change and it would be uh, pretty dramatic into what happens with Moraine going forward if she is sort of stilled here. Yeah, there's no way she's It done. could be that he, he like shielded her in a way that um, over time she might be able to regain and might heal from it. Um, they might go that route. She might be stilled here. It's definitely possible. Like I said, almost anything is on the table with the show because they have ch- changed so many things. Um, I did think it was foolish of her to let Rand go by himself at the end. Not something that really happens in the book. We do hear him talk about wanting to like go off. But the idea of him just walking out into the blight on his own <laughs> from the eye of the world. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Not a great idea. Yeah. yeah. Uh, totally by himself. Doesn't really even know how to control his own power or anything. And he's just going to go walk out into the blight on his own. 
Yeah, not a good idea. And then Lan shows up at the end, and, like, that was the thing. I'm like, why did we do any of this? All it did was make Lan have nothing to do for the entire episode other than wander through the blight and then show up after everything's over. Right. Yeah. The uh, the ships at the end were, were yeah, cool what'd and you think weird of that? and unexpected. What'd you think of that group? Yeah, I mean, like, cool, like, sort of, like, teaser for the next season for the for things. I have no idea what that is. Obviously, no context yeah. at all. And I won't reveal, you know, obviously, I have, I have my thoughts about who that is, but... Um, I do think they're moving they're moving some of that up. Um, although I don't really remember. Maybe they do show up in book two. I'm not actually sure. Um, but uh, they are a important faction going forward that, that plays a plays a big role. Well, it's cool. I mean, my reading of it is like people from outside of this continent that we've seen maps of and stuff. And also they're like channeling and they're creating this giant wave. So clearly they're going to be a threat towards this coast and these people and, and all that kind of stuff. They seemed like invaders. Like they seemed like they had ships and they had battle battle stuff ready to go. They seemed like they were pretty aggressive. Yeah. So we'll see how that. And goes. we get one last glimpse of Matt, and he is like looking kind of like dark, and he's he got his cloak on. He looks dirty, and he I think he's back in Tarvalon looking at the tower. That was my read of that. But again, some of the cities look kind of similar, like you said. <laughs> maybe he was he back in and Shadow Goth. Maybe I don't know. I, I think it was Tarvalon though. Well, I can look again, but I think it was Tarvalon, yeah. yeah. And, and anyway, um, Barney Harris, as, as Matt Cawthon, I thought was one of the standouts from the from the Two Rivers uh, crew. And it's a real shame to me that he got to do a lot of great stuff early, but um, ever since the, the dagger sort of takes him out, I don't know, he just didn't get to do anything. And it, it kind of happens in the same way in the book, but um, now that I know that that actor is not returning, it's it's a, a real shame because I would have really liked to see him grow into the character that Matt becomes, which um, I don't think is a big spoiler to say. Matt is tends to be a fan favorite. People love Matt, and um, mostly for stuff that happens in later books. So and you know the way this show goes, yeah, like from the book and my early idea of Matt, I was really ready to get invested and really wanted to like him. But then like he's going through a lot, and of course like I know there's going to be some sort of redemption arc, and like that's something I've been talking about from early on. Um, so I am excited to hear that that a lot of people like him. I'm, I'm looking forward to really starting to like Matt because right now he's just like got a lot going well, on. Well, speaking of, we in our last episode, I think we we asked our, our listeners, like, how would you want us to tackle this thing going forward? Um, because of, we talked about some of the struggles with it. And um, Chris reached out on our Discord and commented about it, um, responding to that. And he pointed out that like a lot of the major plot of book two has not been approached yet. There are certain things that were pulled and there are certain things from book three that were pulled in, but most of the plot of book two hasn't occurred yet. So he said like, why not just cover book two when you, when season two comes out and do the same kind of thing. And then like later on, you can continue to make decisions about if you want, if we need to cover more than one book at a time. Um, and I think that's a good, I think that's a very solid suggestion. And uh, I think we should definitely consider that when season two comes out, maybe we just read book two yeah, and roll with it. I mean, like I, I would, I would don't think I'd be opposed to setting aside like a month to cover or maybe a little more than a month each year to cover a wheel of time, but we'll have to see because it depends on how quickly the seasons come out and everything like that. Yeah, how, how is it is it going to come out next year? That's an open question. I don't yeah, know. I, I think I would like to cover it whether we continue reading like whether I continue reading on or not. Like I still would like to cover it in some way. I'm gonna. I don't think for now I'm planning on like continuing into book two right yeah, now. Yeah, I think I think um, read King Killer. Uh, not King Killer, sorry. Uh, re- read the Way of Kings. Keep keep reading. Keep reading Stormlight and uh, hold off on Wheel of Time for now, so that if we want to do Book Two, you can keep that uh, reaction. Um, but man, we're, we're we're here at the end. 
which means we need to make our ultimate decision on what the better version of this thing is for season one and book one, I guess, like with that sort of lens on it, uh, what the best version of this uh, Wheel of Time yeah. is so far. Yeah, it's easy for me. It's definitely the show in this case. I'm just kidding. No. Okay. So for me, seriously, uh, no question, it's the book. Really? Uh, the okay. book was bringing back, like, although familiar, and we've addressed it many, many times about it's very familiar because of Lord of the Rings. And it's, you know, I think it's different enough, but early on, it's very Lord of the Rings. Um, but it took me on an adventure that I was looking for. I really wanted a story like this. I've been waiting to read Wheel of Time. And, like, the, the book just, like, had what I was looking for. Whereas the show was very mixed for me. Like when I was finished with the show, I thought that I would have walked away saying like, okay, the show's great. I think it's, you know, I was expecting really, really high level and it was, it didn't hit that. It's, it's pretty good. I'm excited to see more, but I was really mixed. Some of the decision-making doesn't make sense. And it worries me about the fate overall of the show. This last season, season one got me invested and excited for season two i can't wait for season two but the thing that i'm dying for like i would really like to continue reading the book <laughs> yep. so that's where i'm at i'm gonna i'm gonna give it to the book uh yeah this show i i think when it's when it's good it is maybe even better than i thought we were gonna get like when it's really hitting i'm i i am really liking it i'm like yes this they get it they're they're killing it um, but then there, the the lows are so low the the mangling of parents entire plot line like there's just so many things, uh, little things throughout and big things that makes me have misgivings. And, and ultimately it's like, if they can, if they can stick to what's working and, 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 you know, lean into that and, and develop that for season two and beyond this, the show's going to be a hit and it could do something similar to what, in my opinion, expanse does on also on Amazon. And that's it. it the first season is okay. Um, and it really takes off from there. And especially in, two, in latter half of two and into three, it like takes off and goes to a whole nother level. I would love to see something like that happen with this show. One thing that does bother me a little bit is because they started season two before season one came out, I don't know how much they'll be able to react to the fans, yeah. like sort of wants and needs. And so that definitely worries me a little bit. But I just hope that they are able to like pivot and react to some things and start trying to move things in the right direction. Yeah. And you can't cater too much to what the fans are saying, but you should still no. be aware uh, of some of the like critical, like it's still good to idea to like react to like critical response and like, what is, what are people liking about the show? Like that's, there's nothing wrong with, with looking at what is hitting with audiences and going, yeah, maybe I should do more of that. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yes. You don't want to, you don't want to become a slave to that, but you know what I mean? I think it's still worth keeping an eye on. There's a couple egregious things, but like most of the other stuff is just little stuff and tweaking yep. and figuring out what works for you and the audience. And I think they, they'll be able to find that balance as long as they're pouring all the resources they can into it. And really, really, yeah. you know, we have some people who are really invested in getting the story right. So all of that was uh, my sort of building up to making my decision here. Um, and I'm going to give it to the book. I, I, I think Teenage Luke would never forgive me. If I got to release a podcast episode talking about Wheel of Time and I don't give it to the book here, it was such an important book for me growing yeah. up. And you knew what podcasts were as a teenager? Yeah, it's amazing. I had that foresight. Of yeah. One day I would be a podcaster, I guess. <laughs> right. Speaking of podcasting, thank you all for listening so much. Um, it sounds like the book takes it here, but uh, we will be back hopefully for season two. I, you know, if, if, it, if it lines up, if you want to hear that from us, let us know because the more excitement and interest there is, the more we are, the more likely we are to uh, return 
Um, and hopefully you got something out of our coverage that maybe other other people aren't doing. Um, and uh, we appreciate the time you spent with us. And if you appreciated it uh, from us, let us know in the form of a rating and review, whatever app you listened on. Uh, if you're on Spotify, you now have the ability to leave uh, a star rating uh, on the app. I think it's been rolled out all over now. So definitely check that. And we'd love to get five stars. I think we have to have like at least 10 before it even shows up. So help us get to the point where it'll show up. That would be awesome. Uh, and yeah, we'd appreciate it. And make sure to connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all of those at ink to film And check out our Discord. We have the link for it in our Council of Inklings, which is a Facebook group. And if you wanted to get it another way, you could just message us on, on any of those social media platforms. And uh, if you would like to support this podcast financially, which we would be very uh happy for you to do <laughs> um we 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 would love to have you over on patreon we are releasing a q a episode this month where we are going to be reacting to some questions that we got on that said discord earlier also on patreon um we're talking about some of the outside of adaptations books and movies that we read this year we talk a little bit about our lives and um some thoughts on fan fiction and the nature of like so bad they're good uh movies things like that it was a lot of cool topics and then kind of a, a mailbag episode um and i had fun recording it and uh we will be putting that out very soon so if you'd like to get that yeah join us on patreon we'd love to have you Oh, and that's patreon.com slash ink to film. And thank you to Sirius Beat for the use of our intro and outro music. All right, man. So the only other thing we have left this year is our last looks episode. That'll be coming up next um, where we're going to take a look back at all of the adaptations and books we read and pick our least favorite and favorites. Uh, always a good time. We do this every year. Um, it's, it's a cool way to cap off the year and kind of react to what we've done and make some decisions um, and I don't know. I would love to have you join us for that one. And uh, until next time, keep adapting. Keep adapting.